The Pillars of Taste, a.k.a. the savory marble columns that will support us on this quest. Today, we'll enter the food culture gateway and explore. And for many of you, it'll be the very first time that you hear about these ideas. And my hope for today is that you would choose to receive them kindly. Let's begin. First, I want you to imagine a culinary arsenal that is on your back at all times. Knives, pots, spoons, and skillets, all made from gold. Now, it's empty now, but with these initial concepts, you'll be given your first tools. Today, we will define spices, seasonings, and herbs, and what they truly are. And I'll share with you the real definition of flavor. But to comprehend this world, we must talk about our roots first. Because they hold up a massive temple where the study of flavor resides. This is a temple where hunter-gatherers first went to probe and play with the gifts that Mother Nature gave us. They entered with the foliage collected outside. And once in, we never left. Those scholars, as they are rightfully called, were the ones that pushed our minds to become who and what we are today. And that brings us to my theory of evolution. That we are humans because we learn the language of flavor. Yes, all the beings here on earth, more or less, can detect the chemical defenses that have built up in the leaves, stems, and in the skins of poisonous animals. But for some reason, we removed the poison and tried them again, and with different combinations too. And I believe that led to an expansion in our cerebral cortex that inherently pushed us to grow a deep-rooted connection with the soil. So the success of certain plants in differing environments would have taught us about the concepts of needs and gave us the lexicon to describe what they liked and disliked and inherently what we liked and what we disliked. The sun would rise and the moon would follow every day and every night, teaching us more about the cosmic relationship. So the moon offers another kind of nourishment that the sun cannot give us. And in the push towards farming that literally grew our taste buds, did we sense La Madre herself? This experience birthed the creation of language as we know it. So step back and look at what the bricks of the temple were built on. And you see that this is not a metaphor at all. The truth is that the temple was built on dirt. In the soil is where the roots grow deep, but only in certain places. And from the strongest plants did we gather their bounties. We must have had them all there laying in the sun until flavors and aromas began to form. We dried them. We concentrated their oils, which created intense aromas. And the first chemical reactions that led to the beginning of a new sensory indulgence that we call flavor. So the sun taught us change and growth. And only after we learned of the balance that we begin to successfully cultivate these plants. 
gathered the seeds, peeled the bark, and let the stems dry, then pulled the roots to plant once again. And it was then that we learned propagation. The seeds contained the essence of life, so it only made sense that we tried to preserve them, right? But the question is, what was it that we were preserving? The spice. The spice is what fades with time. The spice comes from the durable, so it holds the essence. And when we dry and grind them into colorful, fine powders, we then hold the spices. And for the most part, they are only added in the beginning of the cooking process. Spices have flavors that you can extract with heat, and they also have their intrinsic, uncooked taste. This is getting fun. Herbs, on the other hand, are the leaves, the flowers, and the soft stems of the plants. The botanical term herbaceous refers to the soft leaf-like quality, which is perfect for garnishing and even for substance in the dish itself. Herbs are usually added later on in the cooking process. Herbs flavor what you have already seasoned. In the classic marinara, we'll season with salt and flavor with the herbs thyme and oregano. All of those are the dried leaves from the soft stems. And yeah, oils and flavors are still extracted with heat. These are added later on, not to your oil as you begin. I introduce one of my favorite ideas. If it's not a pillar of flavor, it's a pillar of life as we know it. It's that you must let the spices cook. Things take time, and time is the greatest chef of all. I'll use coriander or cilantro, as the North calls it, as an example. And by the way, they are the same thing. We can use our flowers for garnishes or for teas or to put in the middle of our dinner tables to enjoy. We grind her seeds collected from the flowers to make coriander powder, a spice, and her leaves, fresh, are for substance. Her roots and the tendrils can be cooked and eaten or ground into different pastes. The parts you throw away often have more value than you could even imagine. Roots. They do so many jobs, it's hard to categorize them into any one purpose. But root networks communicate and develop at an incredible, calculated, cellular level. They were the first teachers. They react to changes of light, introductions of supportive and invasive bacterias, nutrient shifts, season or changes of temperature and can develop structural supports for their above ground counterparts. Quite literally, the roots taught us how to survive. Roots are opportunistic and grow with time. We only can see what is above ground, but there are fruits on both sides. Fruits form below the surface and they're called rhizomes or bulbs or other vessels that are for holding genetic information for when the above ground conditions change. A rhizome is the technical word for a root system that grows horizontally. They can be separated 
plant it in pieces, and from those pieces can you grow the following generations. There are above-ground rhizomes and below-ground rhizomes. This is important to know. Grass, for instance, is an above-ground rhizome that spreads out over the surface horizontally. Bamboo, ginger, turmeric, fruit below horizontally and grow towards the sun. But there are roots that are fruitful too, like carrots or tubers, like yams and potatoes, which are the thickened portion of a rhizome. These are denser because they hold nutrients for the next cycle. Our terminology here is very dependent on what we need. Therefore, I want to refer to a set of descriptive words that will be used again when describing the sensations that we feel. They are pungency and piquancy. It means having a sharp effect that disagrees with our palate versus one that is engaging and that we want more of. This podcast will get more and more piquant to your ears. Just for example's sake, that is. But chili brings the perfect example. The pungency of a habanero pepper is incredible for the strength and sharpness of its flavors are for the most part not a pleasant experience. You see now that we have to clearly separate heat and spice. Spiciness is commonly missed you feel in your mouth, but it just refers to the presence of spices and their sensations perceived. Cinnamon, not spicy like jalapeno, but still technically spicy. Heat is derived from temperature. And the spiciness for chilies specifically is measured in the Scoville scale, which is a set measure of pungency. Bell peppers started a whopping zero units, give or take a few. Then follow the common jalapeno peppers at about 7,000. And you know that habanero salsa that you're scared of? Well, it's with good reason because it can hit about 250,000 on the scale. Then... There's the infamous Carolina Reaper, record holder for many years, that can apparently hit over 2 million. Scared yet? But get this, the number one placeholder is now at 3,180,000 Scoville units. It's called the Pepper X. It's so hot, you can use it as a local anesthetic. It will literally numb your senses. In fact, that was one of the intended purposes of the breeder, to grow something that could succeed in a tropical climate that could be used as a substitute for expensive Western medicines. Pretty cool. But spicy fruits aside, where does the fruit fall from? Fruits are from the ovaries of the blossoming flower, which were impregnated by local pollinators. Not all flowers will bear fruits, but the fruits will always bear flowers. The cacao plant, which is native to the Amazon forest, is often enjoyed in many different forms. The sweet, slimy flesh is eaten raw like candy, or it can be fermented to make wine. Its beans can be pressed for oil, which we often call cocoa butter, and the beans can be fermented, roasted, and ground with that same oil to then make chocolate. The husks of the beans make a mild chocolatey tea rich with nutrients and antioxidants. And the pot itself, well, 
It can be used to create natural fuels, absorbents, colorings, and dyes. The plant itself is the ingredient. We've just learned different ways to use every piece. Now, this may be a random question to everyone, but where is paprika made from? I never asked, but is it a seed from the paprika plant or the red root ground into a delicate fine powder? Actually, none of the above. I recently found out that it is literally dried bell pepper. Hot paprika? You guessed it. Slightly spicy bell pepper. Sweet paprika? You guessed it again. Slightly sweet bell pepper. And this confused me. Because what do we call it? Is it a spice? Is it an herb? Well, technically no. Because we're not extracting any oils while using it at the beginning of the cooking process. We'll burn the soft flavors that way. Is it a tender herb? Again, technically no, because it's not herbaceous in any sense. So what is it? Technically, it's a flavoring. Prepare your weapons arsenal, because this is when we learn the flavor laws. Taste. It's produced from flavor, but taste is also stimulated. Seasonings can do that by affecting the senses. Salty, sour, sweet, bitter, and umami. Now, seasonings can be non-plant-based, but spices and herbs are always plant-based. Spices are raw, and when they are, they taste bitter. But cooked spices add flavoring. Seasoning, coupled with these, can create combinations of layered flavors. Flavor is a subjective part. And someone can like a flavor more than the next guy, but it's still there no matter what. Shout out to paprika. Not sure what it is, but it's there. So to understand flavor, we must learn how to communicate with ourselves and what we need. Thusly, we begin to understand the pillars of taste that hold up the temple. It's the connection to the earth and the harvest and our emotions that made us strong. Our humanity is on our tongue. Our diversity is our perception of taste. So we're to thank the soil for what makes us different and unique. It's not because of our borders, our skin colors, or the languages that we share or that we do not. For all of those came after. Our culture is formed from what we had to do to harvest and cook. The long processes created a paradigm that bred respect and community around the fire. In the old days, there was no industry like today. So it appears that we've gotten lost. This was in part due to the indulgent beauty of the plants in their parts and sadly, the abuse of their intrinsic value. Because they represented new schools of thought as they were the priceless keys to the temples of lands far, far away. And you heard me right, the temples, plural, just like schools of thought. Each temple is different depending on what will grow from the soil beneath it. So imagine as you learn more and more about these flavors and their origins, 
a map that encompasses the world. And on that map, we can track and trace the birthplaces of flavor. We use this map as we travel together on this road. So keep it in your weapons arsenal, safe and tucked away, or next to the new terms and definitions that we just learned. I'm your host, Leon. I invite you to join me in our next episode as we time travel to the birthplace of flavor as we know it. It just gets better and better. Thank you for listening in. You'll be hearing from me shortly. For this is FlavorQuest, and we're just getting started.